welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to see all of you on campus. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, great to see you, or great for you to see us, rather, and we're glad that you have chosen to make this evening, this service, a part of your evening. We know it'll be a blessing to you. You remember that old song, glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my burdens down. Anybody remember that? And it goes on, right? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, since I laid my burdens down. If I was a singer, I'd sing it for you tonight. We'd sing together. Oh, my goodness. No. I was not expecting that reaction. Praise God. Let's, hey, we'll do like youth camp. We'll get everybody up here and just do one big choir like they used to do at youth camp. But you're awake. I'm thankful for that. I was thinking about that song, man. I, I was just humming that in my kind of uh, getting ready for church and all. He that the Son is set free is free indeed. Man, I'm thankful for the freedom of the Holy Ghost and to, to just the, the, the liberty we have as children of God to walk free, free from this world, free from sin. If, if in this world only we had hope, we would be of all men most miserable. But we've got a hope tonight, and I am so thankful that God has lifted that burden of sin and worry and fear off of our shoulders. Amen. Amen. And and maybe the choir will sing or the chorale will sing it one day. Amen. Glad you're here. Hey, let's let's uh, remind you of a couple of things. I'll uh, echo some of the things that Pastor mentioned on Sunday, uh, but they're important. Don't forget your Mission Louisiana pledge. There's a tab set up on the uh, church app. Easy tithe for that. And then the Connect Groups Fair. Let me talk to you a moment about that, February 18th, so that's not this coming Sunday, but the next will be our Connect Groups Fair. That'll be immediately after the service, and it'll be over in the Alexander Center. You'll be able to go. You remember we did this before. You'll be able to go through and look at the different Connect Groups for the spring and choose which one you would like to be a part of. But let me talk for just a, just a second. If you, if you want to be a Connect Group leader, if, you, if you've got an idea for a Connect Group, you're wanting to, to lead one, uh, please get with me. Either call me, text me, see me after church. I, I need to get your, your name and kind of your vision for your group so that we'll make sure we have enough space set up at the fair. But also I want to get you set up with a, uh, with a uh, app or, or a um, group on the app so that folks can sign up virtually there at the group fair. So a little bit of, little bit of uh, work we need to do to get ready for the Connect Group Fair is what I'm saying. So Bottom line is, if you want to lead a connect group, please come see me, and let's get you on the list. Uh, February 19th through the 10th will be 21 days of sacrifice. Please begin preparing for that, preparing your heart in prayer and, and what God would lead you to do there. And then the 23rd through the 25th, last weekend of the month, Dr. Rhea Cooper will be with us. And as Pastor mentioned, Sunday, Friday night will be a leadership session for all of our leaders. And then Saturday morning, two sessions. Uh, for everybody, and then back in here on Sunday morning in the 11 o'clock service for the entire church, and uh, she's going to be dealing with mental health, uh, anxiety, those sorts of things, and I mentioned to somebody today in a completely different context, I'm thankful that the Apostolic Church is paying attention to these, um, these needs, you know, the mental health is just important as physical health, and uh, it is so, so important, thank God, what I guess... What I want to say uh, is thank God for apostolics that are professionals in the healthcare uh, sector that can help us in this area. It's very needful, and I'm thankful God is fulfilling that need with people like Dr. Rhea Cooper. You'll be blessed on that weekend 
if you choose to participate, and I encourage you to participate. Amen. Stand with me if you would. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to welcome his presence into this place. We're going to ask for his anointing on this service. If you have a need, would you just let that be known by the lifting of your hand? God knows and sees every heart, every life, every need. Let's pray together this, this evening before Pastor comes to the pulpit. Jesus, we enter in with thanksgiving tonight. It is, it is the fruit of our lips that we give you praise. It's the, it's the fruit of our minds that we give you praise. Our actions, our intentions, our, our motives, Lord, we want it all to be to your glory tonight. I pray, God, that you would touch every need represented by the uplifting of a hand. You know, you know, Lord, and and I believe that you are working even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. You are working in the name of Jesus. I pray over the service tonight that you would be with us. Anoint the word as it goes forth. Let it change our lives. Bring us closer to you. Everybody say in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands to Jesus as pastor comes to the pulpit. Thank you very much. Great to see all of you here tonight. You may be seated uh, thank you for coming, and uh, certainly welcome all of our guests here tonight. Thank you so very much for joining us on Wednesday night Bible study. It is uh, so encouraging to see our guests here tonight, and we serve to, uh, trust that the service is a blessing, and uh, it's wonderful, encouraging to see all of our wonderful Grace Church people here tonight. Thank you so very much for being here. Uh, in light of the uh, uh, the Connect Group Fair that will be occurring, that Brother Dave just mentioned on February 18th, that will be uh, that will be held Sunday morning after church. But they will need the Alexander Center to prepare, set up tables, and what have you to facilitate that. So everybody in the adult Sunday school class, remember that that will be over here in the sanctuary, and uh, we'd appreciate it so very much. Uh, uh, we'll meet in here. Uh, probably won't have donuts that Sunday morning, uh, but we will have coffee. So uh, remember that. Uh, we'll look forward to it. And to all of our wonderful, uh, we call it our, our ABC class, the adult Bible class. Uh, if you could just play like we're still in the A Center and everybody just come up real close around the front. That would be wonderful uh, if you would do that. Thank you so much for that. Remember that announcement. I want to uh, go right into the Word of God tonight. I uh, have a presentation I want to make. And um, <clears throat> uh, somebody asked me right before church, was I teaching on vision uh, tonight? And I'm not. Doesn't mean I'm done with that, but I'm not teaching that tonight. Probably uh, this material will go maybe tonight and even next Wednesday. But I would like to remind you that we have uh, been teaching vision for the past number of weeks on Wednesday night and have done some preaching about it on Sunday morning. We want to be a visionary church. I do not want us to become content with who we are, where we are as a church, what have you. Uh, we want to keep moving forward. We want to see... Grace Church continue to grow and um, certainly don't want to become what is some people uh, call a maintenance pastor, which you have a certain number of people and you're contented with that for the next 20 or 30 years. I'm not that pastor. Um, I want to see growth. 
uh, on some level, numerical, spiritual, domestic, financial, all of the aspects of our lives. It's encouraging to see uh, people receiving the blessings from God that God promised that he would give. And uh, so uh, let's keep vision growing, being what God wants us to be, making ourselves available to God in the forefront of our minds. Uh, tonight I want to call your attention to Psalm 15, and I'll begin reading with verse 1, Psalm uh, 15. <clears throat> the Bible said, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? The answer to that question is found in verse 2, it's he that walketh uprightly and works righteousness, and speaks the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. Uh, that word is not misspelled. You would be more familiar if we use the word contemptible. Um, it's, it's too... Think to scorn or to be a vile person uh, is what that kind of a person is being talked about here. Uh, but he that honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved, the psalmist said. I want to highlight uh, several statements that were made here. Again, the question is asked, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? We would say in, in the New Testament era, who would, who, would be, who would be in the kingdom of God? Who would live in the kingdom of God, operate in the kingdom of God? And, and the answers are found in verses 2 through 5. But in verse 2, the last, the last phrase of that is uh, the, the person that speaketh the truth in his heart. Verse 3, he said, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. Verse 4, he said, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not, or acknowledges his own hurt and changes not. And then in verse 5, he said, nor taketh reward against the innocent. That just simply means to be bribed, uh, to testify an untruth towards the innocent. I want to speak to you for a little while tonight. Uh, we may, I'm going to keep my eye on the clock. If we can finish this tonight, I will. If not, we'll uh, finish it next Wednesday. Uh, but I want to talk to you tonight just simply about personal values. Personal values. And I think it's important when a church is going visionary, I think it's okay to change methods. Uh, I think if methods are not working, in a church, you need to, to revisit that and find methods that do work. But we don't change our message. <clears throat> We're not changing our message. We're not going to change our message, etc. So to reinforce that, I want to talk to all of us here tonight about personal values. We have values as a church, but those can only certainly only go so far. Uh, your day-to-day -day lifestyle is what's the most important. I uh, appreciate all of you being here tonight, but what you're going to do tomorrow 
is going to be as important, if not more important. So let me begin by saying that values cannot be compromised and debated. Values are truths that drive and direct personal behavior. They are personal values, and I found this to be true in my own life. They're, they're literally motivational. Personal values can motivate you. They motivate you and give you the reasons why you do things. Values motivate you and gives you reasons for why you do things the way you do. Values are restrictive. They are, by nature, they are restrictive. Values place boundaries around behavior. Uh, values place boundaries around behavior. So more and more is written about the importance of consistent values to a person's effectiveness over the long haul. Uh, David in Psalm 15 is demonstrated, he, he's demonstrated and even still demonstrating to all of us value-driven behavior. It's we behave based on our values. Our values drive us to behave in a certain way. And of course, the meaning of this is to behave in a, a godly way, a Christian way, etc. Notice that he said the person who enjoys the presence of God and lives a blameless life is one who speaks the truth from his heart in verses 1 and 2. Because this person values truth in his heart, his words, the things that comes out of his mouth, is truth. It expresses what is true. Because he values kindness in verse 3. He said he does his neighbor no wrong because he values kindness. Because he values honesty in verse 4, the Bible said he keeps his oath even when it hurts. He wants to be honest, uh, honest to a fault. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, may have mentioned it uh, during a service, but have you ever been talking to somebody for a few minutes and y'all are exchanging words and conversation and uh, the person looks at you and they get real serious and they say, look, I want to be honest with you right now. Well, what have you been being? Uh, dishonest? Uh, I think that's a fascinating statement. I know they're trying, they mean they're trying to drive a point home, but it, 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 it lends to the idea that we have not been being honest in our previous comments. But a person with personal values, one thing they value is truth, kindness, and honesty. And then in verse 5 he said that because a person who speaks truth from his heart values Justice, In other words, he does not accept a bribe against the innocent. This happened to Jesus when he was being crucified. The uh, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin court, etc., had to find witnesses and pay them to lie uh, and say things about Jesus that were not true. So Christian people, especially people here at Grace Church, are and should be value-driven and because of that, the Bible promises a great benefit from the Lord, a great 
blessing from the Lord. David concluded this discourse in Psalm 15 when he said, These people shall never be shaken. They will be solid. The psalmist mentioned in one place should be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, immovable. So regardless of what may happen around people who are value-driven, who have personal values, regardless of what may happen around them, they can live with full confidence that the right principles have shaped their values and have guided their decisions. That confidence will give them emotional and spiritual stability. Yes, it will. That confidence will give them emotional and spiritual stability. It will enable them to be leaders whom God can use for his church, his kingdom, his glory. So as we examine our own lives, uh, perhaps we can do some of that tonight. What values do you see as driving your behavior, more specifically your Christian behavior? What values do you like to have drive your behavior? Against the backdrop of that, let me mention to you, we'll, we'll talk about this for just a moment. Let's talk about values and who God is. If you want to talk about values, let's look at who God is. God is accountable to no one. He's accountable to his word, but he's not accountable to anyone else. And there is no higher principle to which he must conform. He himself, God himself, is the absolute of truth and beauty and goodness and love and justice. Everybody say amen. His perfect character is the essence of what the Bible calls righteousness. When we want to be righteous, it is, it is saying, it is saying, we are saying to ourselves and to others and to God, we want a character like his. We want to be right with God. In a universe without God, what we call good would have no ultimate referent. If you look at Habakkuk 1.13 for a view of this prophet's struggle with God's goodness, he said, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and behold thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. He's describing the perfect, pure character of God. So when you consider values, you have to consider them against the backdrop of literally who God is. So if you look at, at values that way, and you, you look at them against the backdrop of who God is. Now let's look at values and who we are. If we look to the world for our moral values, if you look to the world for our moral values, we will be confused by self-interest, social conditioning, and absolute situational ethics. You only do what's right for the moment. I want to encourage all of our moms and dads here tonight to please consider the beauty, um, again, the Bible paints parameters around us. There, there, there are disciplines to Christian lifestyle. There's disciplines that the Word of God teaches. But there's not a greater foundation, there's not greater knowledge than you can give your children 
than that of what the Bible says. The greatest source of values comes from the Word of God. And everybody said amen. So again, the values of our culture are shallow. They're subjective. But the moral standards of Scripture reflects God's absolute and unchanging character. If you took time to read Exodus 21 through 17, that's the Ten Commandments. That's where you would find the Ten Commandments. You would find the clearest summary of God's values for His people. So I've talked briefly about values and who God is. I've talked briefly about values and who we are. Let me speak to you for just a moment about values and how they work. Values are interesting to discuss in the abstract. But sometimes values gets in the way of valuable decisions. I will confess I've been guilty of it perhaps in times past. No particular illustration is coming to mind. But I think all of us, if we're human, have probably been somewhat guilty of, um, well, you set your values aside depending on the value of the situation or circumstance you're currently facing. Our values are never a sacrifice to place on the altar for our convenience. Values work when they're in place, no matter what else is going on in our lives. Maintaining one's values can cost a person, can cost a Christian person dearly. Sometimes values are not all that convenient. Sometimes they're not always that permissive. Sometimes values become a fence, a safeguard, a guardrail. But if you hold your ground, if you maintain your relationship with God, your relationship with biblical values, that even though you may be in a situation that hurts for the time, ultimately, biblical values will prevail. They always have, and they always will. So, so how do we decide what matters most when we're weighing the bottom line cost against our bottom line convictions? I do remember in times past when I worked a secular job, I had one job in particular, I've referenced it before, where I was literally persecuted for my values. I didn't curse, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. Um, the owner of that company literally would bring the men of that company, just three or four men, into his office during lunch oftentimes, and they would watch, literally, they would watch X-rated movies. I was never invited to be a part of that. Um, they knew better than to ask. Uh, it hurt me because it hurt my relationship and rapport literally with that company because I was not one of them. But in the long run, me holding my values and sticking with my values, it saved me on so many other levels. And as far as a job goes, God always took care of that anyway. I thank God for that. I still say to all of us tonight, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is always the best thing to do. Jesus taught this principle. He taught us how to do this. He taught us how do you decide what matters most when you're weighing the bottom line cost of a decision against your bottom line convictions or values. 
He taught us that principle in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He said, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, where your values are, where your priorities are, that's where your heart will be. So if you keep your heart in the values that God has laid out for us and the values that the Word of God teaches, then God, you're under that umbrella of blessing. You're under that umbrella of provision. And God will take care of you. I have learned through the years that literally, in all due respect, my income comes from your willingness to pay your tithing. That's where it comes from. And that's certainly nobody's holding a gun to anybody's head and say you have to do that. You do that as a conviction and a value. But my income is derived from that. But I don't look at that as the ultimate provider. That's not, that's not God's plan. He takes care of me. He takes care of me. And for years, he has surrounded our ministry with people who are very willing, very kind, and very loving. And I've put my treasure, my heart, my values, my, the structure of my values, the interpretation of my values, the definition of my values have been placed in the kingdom of God and what the Word of God teaches. And I can promise you, all the years that Sister Murph and I have been married, some 47 years we've been married now, I know we don't look nearly old enough to be married that long. I just know it's not possible, but we have been, believe it or not. God has taken care of us every step of the way as a layman, uh, in ministry, the hand of God has been on our life and he has taken care of us. The reason for that is we have kept ourselves, our values, our principles, our lifestyle, our conduct, all of that under the umbrella of God's provision and promise. This is why David said when he concluded Psalm 15, when he said that you will not be moved. No matter what circumstances come or go, we've lost family members, we've had family members die, We've lost and we've hurt and all of that. But through it all, God has never abandoned us and he never will. He promised that he would not do that. And he has not so far. So in talking about values and how they work, I suppose the next part of this is when you look at values, you ask what I do. Paul possessed tremendous resolve after he converted because he was able to link his desires with his values. I want everybody to hear that. Paul was a tremendous success, wrote two-thirds or more of the New Testament. He was a tremendous success because he linked his desires with his values. In other words, he made sure that nothing he desired would take him out from under this incredible umbrella of God's kingdom, of God's provision, of God's power. Uh, the list is endless of what God provides under that umbrella. But Paul made sure that no matter what his desires were, no matter where he wanted to go, what he wanted to do, what he wanted to be, he made sure that his desires conformed to his values. Students here tonight, our 
newly formed hyphen group that I'm excited about. I'm so excited about that. If you don't believe me, just ask me, and I will tell you. I'm so excited. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Our junior, our, our junior high and high school, especially our high school kids, students, excuse me, you have your whole life in front of you. Keep, keep your desires in alignment with godly values. If you do, God can do far more in your life than you've ever dreamed. I'm a living, breathing example of that. And so are so many here tonight. And don't look up here and say, well, that's because you're the pastor. I hadn't always been a pastor. I hadn't always been a minister. I've sat exactly where you are sitting. I remember the days when I said, I can show you my Bible that I carried to church with me every service and fill the front and back of it up with notes. I can show that to you tonight. When I was 15, 16, 17 years old and so on until I was married. I've sat where you're sitting and I've looked at, I looked at my pastor thinking what would it be like to be him? What does he go through every day? At, at y'all's age, I thought about that. Never dreaming at that point at least that that would be my calling and that's where I would end up. We've done our best. I haven't been perfect. We're human. Sister Murphy and I are human just like anybody else. Anybody else is. But we have determined to the best of our ability since we were married since we had kids, etc., that our desires, whatever we desire for in life, we're not going to take it outside of our values. Does everybody understand me tonight? It's important to study. It's important to have resolve. It's important to be committed. All of that, if you will, it will provide you with guidance that will help you identify what your values are and then translate them into a compelling vision. You look at your values and say, this is what I am, this is what I want to be. You look at your life and, and you look at others even, and you look at opportunities in life and say, I don't want to be that, I don't want to go there, I don't want to do that. And after a while, your values becomes your vision because you're living under a canopy, an umbrella of a value system that will guide your footsteps. It will choose, help you choose your path. There's some jobs you may be offered that may not be a good thing for you. There may be opportunities somewhere in society and in our culture. It may not be good for you. And I pray that God keep me and my family, God keep this church in alignment with its desires and its values that they can be as one. And we're not going to stray from who we are and what God wants us to be. I want to make another disclaimer here tonight. I realize that everybody here tonight is not going to be a preacher. You're not going to be a, one day, you're not going to, you're, you're probably won't be a pastor. And so don't look at me and say, well, that's easy for you to say because you're a pastor. I lived my values before I was in ministry. I didn't establish, I didn't wait till I got, got into the ministry to establish my value system. As a matter of fact, I changed very little in my value system when I became a minister. Value starts right now. For you students sitting here in the front, you, you start establishing your values now. Be careful who you marry. Be careful who you date. Be careful where you're persuaded to go with people. And if it's not in accordance with what godly values are, then you let your convictions and your values make your decision. And you stand on two solid feet, flat-footed on the floor, and say, no, I'm not doing that.
I'm not going there. I'm not going to participate in that. So let me ask tonight, now that you understand where this is going, what are your values? What are they? In Acts 23 verse 1, Paul said, uh, or the Bible said, and Paul earnestly beholding the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. In other words, when God struck me down on the road to Damascus and so on, I developed a value system and nothing you say, nothing you do will change my values. I will not play party to anything outside of my value system. I'm not going to be moved politically or socially or culturally outside of my values. <laughs> it's interesting as our culture has changed that you, you make statements to people, and I have made statements to people who are unchurched people, and they kind of, their eyebrows meet over the top of their nose, and they look at me kind of funny like, huh? What did you just say? It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I have a value system. There's things I stand for. There's things I believe in. And it's important that we all that we all have convictions in our hearts. You don't do it just because your family does it. You don't do it just because your friends do it. You don't do it just because the church does it. You do it because that's who you are. <clears throat> I think the greatest reason I've ever given anybody when they ask me about my lifestyle is just very simply because I love Jesus. That don't make a lot of sense to people until you put it in this context. There's a lot of things that I do and there's a lot of things I do not do because I love my wife. There's a lot of things that I do and there's a lot of things I don't do because I love my kids and my grandkids. It's been this way for a number of years with me. It's not new. It's not new. So I love Jesus in that capacity. I, I want to please him. I don't want to disappoint him. John Maxwell, in his book, Developing the Leader Within, uh, relates an interesting story. He said, in ancient China, the people wanted protection from their enemies, so they built a great wall. Anybody know the name of that wall? That's a hard one, isn't it? They built a great wall, and it's China, kind of giving it away here a little bit, right? <clears throat> they built a great wall. The wall was so high that they believed that no one would be able to climb over it. It was, it was so thick that no one could cut through it or break it down. During the first 100 years after this wall was built, China was invaded three times in the first 100 years after this wall was built. The enemy did not break down the wall. Neither did they climb over it. So how did the enemy invade? Each time... They were invaded on these three accounts. When they were invaded, the enemy bribed the gatekeeper and then marched through the gates. They didn't have to cut through it. They didn't have to climb over it. They just bribed. What happened? Listen to what I'm about to say. What happened? Each time they bribed the gatekeeper, the Chinese were so busy Relying on walls of stone, they forgot to teach integrity 
to their children. Now, we can build whatever we want around this church to protect it and keep people in and to keep people out and whatever. We don't do that, but you understand the analogy I'm making here. But if we don't teach the people on the pew, whatever we put around us isn't worth the material it's made out of. I hope we all understand that. We have to have values. And the psalmist said that he would not be bribed for the innocent. He's not going to take money for a testimony. He's not going to trade uh, a lie for income and so on because he has a value system. The Bible said in Proverbs 20 verse 7, the just man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. One of the greatest blessings, parents, you can give to your children is to manifest your godly values in front of them. Live it every day. We all understand that children learn from their parents' example. Like father, like son, one proverb said, the fruit never falls very far from the tree. We all understand that. When parents plant good seeds, their children will reap them. David, the psalmist that responsible for Psalm 15, he, he had a lot of children and that blessing and favor of his, the value system that he had, that blessing and favor of his faith and steadfastness fell to them. Some of them strayed away from it. Some of them were not successful. But Solomon, his son, became one of the most prominent men in the Old Testament. And his success was due to David's faith and steadfastness. Was David a perfect man? Absolutely not. But when he failed, he was quick to repent and he manifested repentance in front of his children. So though a child strays, we have clear guidelines and a conscience. If a child strays, that child will have clear guidelines and a conscience that will trouble him and judge him as he travels through life. Don't take that lightly because I've talked to scores of people in my life who was born and raised in church, born and raised with values and so on, and, and solid families that strayed away. And they, they say, even to this day in their elder years, that they still remember. They still remember, and deep down in their heart, they know that they're not doing right. So though a child strays, that those, these values will, will trouble him and judge him as he travels through life, and hopefully at some point it will encourage him to return to the right path. The children enjoy the blessings their parents receive. The Bible is very clear in several scripture passages that when parents live above reproach, their children can hold their heads high because they are recipients of a godly heritage. When reproach comes to the family, all are affected and children bow their heads in shame. The Bible says in several places that the evil men influence the lives after them. Exodus 20, Exodus 34, Numbers 14, Deuteronomy 5. The opposite also is true. The good men influence the lives of people that follow them. Amen. So if parents live in hypocrisy, the salvation of their children can be negatively affected. They will not have a desire to be like their parents. They will not have a desire to be like their parents. They will not have a desire 
to be like their parents. Nobody wears the identity of a hypocrite with pride. So the things that you practice in moderation today will be done in, in excess by your children tomorrow. The things that you practice in moderation today will be done in, in excess by your children tomorrow. Parents who lift up a standard to lighten the way show their children how to walk straight. Brother Tenney said a number of years ago, and I've never forgotten it, he said the first generation generates, the second generation motivates, the third generation speculates, and the fourth generation dissipates. We must define what we will not and cannot change. As I mentioned at the outset of this presentation tonight, methodology has changed. Church, church services don't run like they did when I was a kid. They don't run like they did when I was a teenager. We have older people here tonight. I'm one of them. I know I don't look it. Y'all just run a sword through my heart tonight. I didn't get hardly any amens on that. So I guess I can't be a hypocrite about that anymore. <laughs> but church is not like it used to be. And, and I remember when the church began to transition, at least the United Pentecostal Church. I saw it on a district conference. I saw it on campgrounds. I saw it at youth camp, I saw it at camp meeting, saw it on a district level, I've seen it in church. I can promise you that Grace Church does not operate like the church did when I grew up, the one that I grew up in back in the 70s and 80s. Methods change, but our values can never change. Brother Tenney also said one time, and I've taught it many times, you don't move a fence until you find out why that fence has been put there. You don't add a gate and you don't take away a gate until you find out while it's been, why it's there. I can drive down a road without guardrails. I can and I do and so do you. But sometimes when there's a deep ravine to the right and left, it sure is a little bit of a comfort to have a guardrail there. And we have guardrails around our message. There's a lifestyle we live here that we teach and believe here and so on. That's not changing. Our values don't change, but sometimes our methods do. I will say very forthrightly in the environment I grew up in, in the 70s and 80s, if you had that on the wall of the church, anybody here know what I'm talking about? There's things that's changed as church-wise that I've, that I've kicked and screamed about. There's things that have changed that some of you are still kicking and screaming about. I hear it often from our elders. Man, I wish we could go back to 1972. I don't. I love the memories, but I don't necessarily want to repeat it. I wasn't married in 1972, and I didn't have kids in 19. I don't want to go back. No, I'm talking about church. Uh, I'm teasing along that line. But, but things change. It does. Whether we like it or not, it does. 
but our values can never change. Paul lived a life of integrity, blameless before God and man. He walked and worked among men with a clear conscience. Men of integrity possess a strong, upright, and blameless character. It has been said the measure of a man's real character is what he would do if no one ever found out. The habits and the framework of our lives should always be decent and blameless because somebody is always watching. Character is what you become in the dark. Character is what you become in the dark. I've read two separate articles. I'm concluding. I'm not done. We'll pick it up next Wednesday night, Lord willing. I've read two separate articles because of social media. Everybody listen. Um, it is amazing at the impact. And we hear this often. It's, it's not new. But um, I'm amazed at the impact that social media has made, especially on American culture. This is what I mean. Uh, Facebook has changed the scope of the way people think and the way they communicate and, and what have you. It's, it's, it's taken its toll, I think, in mostly a negative way on our culture. And I understand I'm not on Facebook, haven't been in years. God bless those of you that are. I'm sure you have to pray through on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, God help you with your addiction and so on. Anyway, uh, is what it is. Uh, so, uh, but on Instagram, I, I, I know this from Instagram. Um, they have these, they call them reels. R-E-E-L, reel. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They're really short. Uh, I think uh, on on YouTube they call them shorts. On YouTube, I don't know what they're called on Facebook, but they last thirty something seconds. Confession is good for the soul, ain't it? Just go ahead and admit, confess before everybody. <laughs> um, but what that has done, I've read two separate articles that because of this, research says, because of this, people's attention span has become very, very short. They can't listen and even watch in long segments now. It has to be really, really good to keep your attention. Uh, I read one article, uh, forgot now the source of it. Uh, but one article said that people's attention span is no more than about 12 minutes. Um, uh, I read uh, there was a, a, a Christian group did a study that when a preacher preaches a 20-minute sermon, that your congregation on average only listens to about 12 minutes of it. <clears throat> Don't get any ideas. That's not my problem. I'm going to preach 35, 40 minutes on Sunday, and if you can't deal with that, go get some help, some therapy or something. So uh, this is what we do. We don't have enough time with church folks as it is. We're not going to make it even shorter than that. 
But then I read just this week that the somebody else said, I believe it was Huffington Post said, they did a, a survey research that said the attention span has gone from 12 minutes to five minutes. Uh, that you only have people's attention span for about five minutes. So I don't know where all your mind has been here tonight. You may have covered problems at the job, um, what you have to say to your spouse when we get home from church tonight, um, those kind of things, but I've done my part. I've put it out there for you to hear, for you to see, for you to listen to, and I hope you have absorbed the vast majority of this. And had we lived 30 years ago, I would have finished this Bible study tonight. But I'm not going to push what society is saying has now become the norm that you can't hear more than about five minutes at a time. God help us. I don't know how you're raising your kids, only giving them little five-minute spurts of attention during the day. Just hand them your phone and go entertain yourself, son. Go entertain yourself. You'll be okay. God help us. I'm thankful for the Word of God tonight. I'm thankful for the truth. I love Jesus. And I love Grace Church. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for your attention, whatever it was, and for however long it was. Thank you for your attention tonight. Thank you so very much for being here. I love Grace Church. I'm so thankful for all of you, for our guests here tonight. Thank you so very much for being here. God bless you. We're going to dismiss you from a standing posture tonight. You're dismissed. And Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning. Uh, back here at Grace Church. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in the beautiful name of Jesus.